Hello, I'm Chris Neeland, host of a new podcast, Cult Brand Secrets, brought to you by The Gathering and Evergreen Podcasts. The Gathering is a Forbes top-rated business summit and a masterclass for brand and business leaders looking to reap the benefits of cult-like adoration. Each year, The Gathering brings together disruptors from around the globe to learn from and to celebrate the leaders behind iconic brands like Marvel, Skittles, Beats by Dre, Yeti, and the Dallas Cowboys. For the first time ever, this podcast will give you access to some of the exclusive business leader learnings from the gathering's past events. Imagine starting a retail store from scratch. And one of the first ideas you have is that you're gonna charge people money just for the privilege of walking around your store and buying your goods. You know, 99 times out of 100, that idea gets rejected and the audacity of even suggesting it may get you fired. But Sam's Club, along with a few competitors like Costco or BJ's, are the 1% exception. They have all built multi-billion dollar empires and, at least in the case of Sam's, seem to be just getting started in terms of the transformations that they're making to even more radically improve the retail shopping experience as we know it. Now, I've known Tim for many years. We actually used to work together at an agency before he went on to become this big wig at Sam's Club. I invited him to speak at the gathering, not as an honoree this time, but as a savvy brand leader who knows what good looks like and knows how hard it can be to properly engage external audiences and get internal stakeholder buy-in on this journey to become something more than just a transactional business that prioritizes price or convenience above all else. I wasn't disappointed in what Tim shared with us, and you won't be either. His own personal journey from a marketer to an operator to a business leader is indicative of our own growth as marketers, where we need to evolve from just communicating value to actually creating it. Have a listen, and I'll share my key takeaways at the end. I have not worried about this speech at all because I just thought nobody would show up. Um, with some of the great brands that are here, Sam's Club is an old brand, and in all transparency, it's kind of a tired brand, and I just thought nobody would be interested. So hopefully we'll have some fun here together. You see, my, my title that was in all of the published materials was Operations Transformation, and you see a different title there on the slide, In Club Product Management. And so in, in full disclosure, full transparency, if you want to get up and leave now because I've been warped, I'm no longer a marketing brand guy, uh, you can, and I, won't, I will not be offended. Um, I'll tell you a funny story just quickly about how this happened. After a 20-year career in marketing strategy, advertising agencies, etc., I joined Sam's Club in their marketing and membership department. And after 18 months, I got a phone call. <clears throat> and basically, there were two EVPs on the executive team of Sam's Club on the phone together. And they said, Tim, we've got some good news, and we've got some bad news. I said, okay, let's, let's hear it. And essentially... It went like this. Well, there's a new CEO. Um, things are getting shaken up. The organization's changing. The good news is, is you are desired in two different spots. One, the new head of marketing would like to keep you in marketing. Two, the CEO, the new CEO, his name is John Ferner, um, has asked you to join operations. 
And I really liked what Alex um, from Spotify said about, you know, I think he called it uneasy footing or unsure footing and stumbling into things because this was certainly one of those moments for me. And I thought about it and I said, well, if the CEO has kind of asked me to join operations, I'll, I'll probably do that. And it sounded exciting. And so, and they said, the bad news is we need the answer in 10 minutes. <laughs> so true story. Uh, and I said, well, I'll, I'll give you my answer right now. I don't even need that nine minutes to think. And so I told them I'll go into operations. Um, and what's funny about that too is, is once I understood why the CEO wanted me in operations, it kind of became clear to me. I said to him, I said, John, I know nothing about operating brick and mortar stores in a retail environment. I know nothing about it at all. And his comment was basically exactly. He, he was a transformer, he was a disruptor, and he wanted to bring a different lens to operations. Another real quick story, one of the first experiences I had with somebody on my new operations transformation team was he came to me and he said, Tim, I've got this really good idea about how to quantify ghost inventory. And I said, that's fantastic. And then I said, what is ghost inventory? <laughs> and he said, well, that's when, when the associate takes the inventory out but doesn't scan it out. And I said, three questions. Takes it out of where, scans it with what, and scans it into what. And he basically looked at me, and the expression on his face said it all, and the expression was, you really know nothing at all. And so that was my kind of rough intro introduction into operations. Um, real quickly, I thought I'd just, for those who aren't as familiar with Sam's Club, I thought I'd quickly just tell a little bit about it. We're a subsidiary of Walmart. Um, Walmart has three big segments. There's Walmart US, the biggest. There's Walmart International, and there's Sam's Club. So we make up kind of that third leg of the, of the Walmart brand stool. <clears throat> We're an old brand. I, I think of it that way. We were founded in 1983 by Sam Walton himself. I, I have a slide of the original memo he wrote that said, I've seen this good idea out there. Let's, let's, let's copy it. Let's, let's try it out. <clears throat> um, we're about 597 stores, clubs we call them. So you'll hear me mix clubs and stores a lot. Um, about 80% of the leadership in our organization started as hourly associates in the club. John Ferner, who was our CEO for a long time, has now been promoted to Walmart US CEO, started out as a cashier, cart pusher. We have a lot of that. Um, in our organization. We're a membership model, right? So we have two memberships. There's the, we call it just the base membership, and that's $45 a year. Or there's the plus membership where you pay $100 a year. Um, and, and you renew annually. And I'll explain a little bit more about that model, but we are a membership model. That's, that's core to our business model and how we operate. Um, and about 100,000 associates in the US. We do have Sam's Clubs internationally, unfortunately not in Canada. We do have them in Mexico, we do have them in China, um, we have an equivalent of it in um, South Africa. So, but, but they're managed by the international brand and so we just really focus on, on the 600 clubs in the United States. Um, <clears throat> let me tell you a little bit about this membership model. Um, so the basics of the warehouse model, um, in, the, in the United States, there are really three big players in this space. There's Costco, there's Sam's Club, and there's a company called BJ's. Um, more oriented out on the East Coast in the U.S. Um, the membership model is really, really simple and really straightforward, but it's, it's easy to lose track of some things. So there, it consists of just a couple of things. Number one, you've got to have great items. Uh, I guess I'd start with the key question is, why would somebody pay you money to shop in your store, basically? 
is the core question you have to answer with this business model. Because if they can go get the same items for free in any other store, why would they pay you money? And there's really three reasons that you have to deliver on in order to earn that renewal every single year with your members. Um, first one is great items. Whether it's through your exclusive private brands, um, whether it's just really extremely high quality, you have got to have fantastic items that they can't find elsewhere. The second thing is you have to have fantastic prices. They have to be disruptive prices. Again, if they're not, why am I paying you money? I, the number one reason members say that they paid money to join and be a member of Sam's Club is value for the money. So if you can't get the pricing right and get pricing disruptive, there's no point from our members' perspective, and it's why I would give you my $45 or $100, okay? And then finally, it's got to be a great experience. If you come in to our club and it's just really stressful, long lines, I can't get what I need, I can't find what I need, associates aren't friendly, um, they can't answer my questions, again, why am I paying money for this experience? The prices might be really, really good, but if the experience is terrible, that sort of offsets, and you're going to lose members as opposed to gaining members. So if you can get those three things right, you get memberships. And essentially, memberships become our lifeblood. That becomes our margin. Our prices are so disruptive, we, our goal is to make no money on our products. And membership becomes the lifeblood and the profit mar for our organization. That's the way this works. So when John Ferner came in as CEO, he showed us this slide. And he, he, he went back in time a little bit, and he, he looked at the space. And the space said that market share for, call it warehouse shopping, was growing. Yet, in the past five years, our comp trends were flat. And yet, our competition was growing. And if you think about that and add it all up, it means that even though we were showing flat, not losses, we were losing market share. Because as it grew, our competitors were growing, we were flat, that means we're losing market share. And he basically said that we were at a crossroads as an organization. We could either die a really slow death at flat, losing market share gradually, or we could get in the game, we could transform, we could get back on model, and we could start to really compete. And he actually called his strategic initiative Crossroads. And so it really is a transformation story. So the story I want to share with you today really is how we used digital to remove a lot of friction to basically transform a lot of our brand experience in the club as a part of transforming our overall business. So we had a couple of hurdles. So we all decided, yeah, we're in. Let's, let's take the, the road less traveled and let's, let's get in the fight. The first problem was how our brand is perceived. I mentioned it's an old brand. And we did some research, not me, the marketing guys. I was in operations now learning about ghost inventory. But the, uh, the marketing team did some research. And what they found was that our brand was perceived as an old guy in a brown suit. And that's, that's kind of hard to stomach. Um, but we said, you know what, we, we, have to, we have to face it. If that's how our brand is perceived, we have to face it and we have to transform our brand and our brand promise. So normally, in my past, I would have spent the entire presentation talking about this transformation to a new brand promise, but I put it all on one slide. And the brand promise is all about expect something special. What we found, the insight is, is that when members come to shop our clubs, for the most part, they're there for the stock up. 
you know, they're getting the paper towels, they're getting the toilet paper, they're getting the basics, and they're stocking up, and that's it. But the insight we got from some of our most loyal, some of our most avid, like 20-year members was that there's always something special in the club. Yeah, I come for the basics, but I have these great experiences. Whether it's I find this gigantic inflatable swan that'll float on the lake and we can have a party on the lake. Or maybe it's the warm rotisserie chicken I pick up in the back. Or maybe it's the warm baked breads that I get. Or maybe it's at the cafe and, and I get my kids a treat. Or maybe it's the free samples throughout the club. Whatever it was, they said, those who really liked our brand and engaged with our brand said, we come for the stock up, but we, there's always something special in the club. And so we embraced that. We made that our brand promise. So everything that we do now, whether it's omni-channel, online, whether it's pickup um, at the store, or just um, ship to home, or whether it's in the club, we strive to deliver something special so that our members will expect something special. We've made a lot of progress. We've got a long way to go. We're by no means done with that journey. Um, but it's given us kind of a north star to strive for. The second problem we had was we didn't have a real clear strategy. We'd kind of fallen off model. Um, you know, Sam's Club oftentimes um, uh, has, has some turnover in leadership because Walmart steals frequently. And, and that's fine. That's, that's all for the, for the big, bigger picture for, of the bigger brand. Um, but because of that, you see sometimes, you know, the pendulum shift frequently. And over the years, we'd gotten a little bit off of model. And so one thing John Ferner talked about was, we're gonna keep our strategy really simple. Some of the best strategies out there are the simplest strategies. And some of the best strategies just do more to tell you what you're not gonna go chase than what you're actually going to go do. But we focus on people, product, and digital. And we said through all three, our goal is to deliver on that brand promise to where members could experience something special in interacting with our brand. So for example, with people, we wanted, we wanted to um, increase wages for our associates and make these destination jobs that people really sought after. Um, for product, we wanted to raise the quality of our items and bring price down, bring it back down to the, to the warehouse model. And on digital, well, we'll come to that in a minute. So with people, we did a number of things. We did invest in wages. We simplified things. We went to block schedules so that our associates had, we call them associates, our, our employees we call associates. Our associates had predictable schedules and they could actually plan and organize their life rather than you know, every, every other day not knowing when my shift was going to be. Uh, we did away with the overnight crews so people actually had a life. We moved them to mornings and we did morning stockouts instead of overnight stocking. Um, we did a whole bunch to simplify the role of what it means to be an associate in the field in our club, um, as well as to really make these destination jobs that people would strive for. Um, and we've seen a lot of progress in terms of reduced turnover, higher satisfaction scores in the field, et cetera. Um, on product, we really focused on fresh. We, we drove fresh quality off the charts. Um, we also focused on members, Mark. That's our private brand. Um, when I joined, we had multiple private brands, and I, don't, I can't even speak to the strategy of that and how we ended up with, I think at one point it was as high as like 10. I don't even know what the number was, private brands. Um, but they focused on, let's get one private brand, let's upscale that brand, let's upscale the quality, and let's also rebrand that one brand. We created Members Mark, and Members Mark has just taken off. In fact, I, I don't know what the latest stat is, but at one point in time, it was one of the fastest growing brands. 
in the US in terms of sales was members market, Sam's Club. Um, so finally, digital. <clears throat> that's kind of where I get to play. Uh, and, and I love this because as I got into the club and I was looking at, are members having a special experience in the club? I, I really was looking at it from a different lens. Uh, there was friction everywhere. There were slow lines, frustration. Um, and what I learned is operators think an interesting way. And this isn't just a Sam's Club or Walmart statement. I studied all kinds of operators, uh, retail operators as a part of this. And one thing I learned is that <clears throat> operators tend to go back to the holy grail of the standard operating procedure, the SOP. They sit around in binders, and if you see something going wrong in the club, operators tend to think, oh, they're not following the SOP, or we need to change the SOP. And what, what I was able to do is just kind of take a look at it and say, you know, maybe there's something different going on here. Maybe the problem, so I really loved what Ryan said in the opening speech about empathy and about really listening. Because what I found was, as soon as I kind of changed my assumption that the associates were doing something wrong, maybe they weren't following the SOP or the SOP was wrong or something like that. As soon as I said, you know, I think every associate gets up and does not plan to come in and fail. I, I don't think associates plan to come in and have terrible experiences with members in the club. Or I don't think associates come in to do things wrong or incorrectly. And as soon as I kind of flipped that in my own mind, and I said, you know, I think they're all here to succeed. And if you start to respect their time and their knowledge and their, their capability, you just start to see gold everywhere. Because essentially, what, if you assume that they're there with all the right intentions and all the right reasons, what you start to see is how difficult you've made their job. So like, like Home Depot, we call our headquarters club support. And... <clears throat> Club support over the years has done a lot to really complicate things in the field, both from a technology and a process perspective. And so, you know, if there's one insight in this transformation that I've learned coming into operations and now into um, technology product management, it's been to have that empathy, really listen to whether it's your members, customers, or your associates, your employees, and assume the best, and then you, what happens is, is you get all kinds of insight into how you have made things difficult for them and how you can go about fixing it. So we launched on a journey to essentially remove friction and simplify the lives of our associates in the clubs. And by doing so, we knew and we assumed that it would create a better member experience, a special experience in the club. So I want to say somewhere around 15 technology products we've launched in the three years that I've been in this role that has made the lives easier for our associates and for our members as well. And I thought I'd just share some examples of that with you. So the first one um, is what we call Sam's Garage. So we have a tire and battery center. And what we found was that the average wait time just to order, not to install, not to have the work done, but just to order your tires, the average wait time was around 30 minutes. The technology was so bad and so antiquated, we couldn't even really measure it. So we had to just observe and do time motion studies. It's around 30 minutes, but it could be as hard as 45 minutes. Think about that, just to get the set of tires that you need. Um, that picture, that tiny picture up there is a picture of a desk, all kinds of equipment, multiple systems. Down below the counter, there's binders and folders with SOPs old pricing manuals, et cetera, et cetera. Our associates had to navigate eight systems just to find the tire, the item that the members needed. 
So we reinvented that. And what you're going to see in this video, it's a, it's a quiet video on purpose, we put everything onto a tablet. And we like that idea because as you see here, he can interact with the member. He can walk around. They can look at the screen together. It's a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder experience as opposed to that barrier experience with all of the hardware on it, right? And now we've gotten the average time down to order, the average transaction time down to 2.2 minutes through completely re-engineering that back end and creating this really, really great member experience on the front end with the tablet. The associates love it. They've adopted it. And we also have seen that on our biggest traffic day of the year, we increased throughput by 55%. We sold so many tires that it took our, our teams months to install them all. Um, and so this is a great example of where, I mean, I had an email from Doug McMillan, CEO of Walmart Enterprise, basically saying, I waited 45 minutes in the Sam's Club tire line the other day. So if, if our CEO is having that experience, our members are having that experience. And it was a horrible experience. It wasn't something special. It was something horrible. And so with this digital approach to transforming what this interaction looked like, we removed friction. We simplified it for everybody. And now you can come in and in 2.2 minutes, you can have the tires you need based on the preferences that you have, based on the vehicle that you have. And oh, by the way, if you've been here before, we'll remember all of that. So you just need to walk up, scan your card, it's all there, and you just tell me what you need. We can do it faster than 2.2 minutes. That's the average. So it's a great example of how re-looking at something where in the past we might have said, oh, they're not following the SOPs, or we need to change the SOPs. We said, how can we transform this experience using digital technology to remove all this friction, simplify, and create something special in the club? Here's another example, Membership Express. So to become a member, you have to pay for a membership, whether it's $45 or $100. Same thing, we went and looked at this experience and it was painful. It was on average about 10 minutes to take our members' money. We wanted that to be much easier. And by the way, it could be much worse. It could take as long as 30 minutes, et cetera, all dependent. We had multiple systems. Uh, two different systems you had to enter information into. One was a membership system. The other one was a POS transactional system. We had eight pieces of hardware for taking photos, creating your card, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We said, this is a bad experience. Member satisfaction with it was very low. And so we said, let's transform this. So after we got done, we did the same thing. We used digital technology. We put it on an iPad. But you see there, we're done in the new system before she's even done with the first step in the old system. And, and this, this, not, this is not easy to do. I don't want to give the impression that we just went in and dropped in an iPad. I mean, we're dealing with 1980s technology a tech stack that goes back to green screens and mainframes that are still operating our clubs today. Um, it's hard to do. There's a lot of back-end engineering going on. But one of the things that we've really focused on also is design. So as we're, as we're working through the spaghetti of the back end and pulling what we need forward into the new digital experience, we have fantastic UX and UI teams that are designing an intuitive experience. Our goal is for every one of these associate tools that we roll out is to have zero training. There, nobody trains you how to use your iPhone. It's just intuitive, and that's our goal. So we have fantastic designers who are constantly working on that front-end experience and what that's like so that as associates come in, they can do it day one. All right, this next one is called Ask Sam. One of our big problems, I mentioned mainframe systems and an aging tech stack. Well, that requires you to use PCs to operate the 
the business in the club. Whether it's inventory, accounting, you name it, it's all still on an old system. So what happens is if I'm an associate and I'm working the floor and a member comes up and asks me a question, the only way I can get information to that question is to leave the, the member standing on the floor, walk, and our clubs are huge, so these walks take a long time. I walk to an office, I get on a PC, I, I go to access information, but then I then come out to the member. Um, we decided what we would do is we'd create this Ask Sam. So we use natural language processing to make it a Siri-like digital app where I could just ask the information to Sam, and Sam could scrape information from the aging backend systems and put it right there in my hand. It started out with Sam could do like five things. Um, now Sam has over 40 skills, and on average, we think each question that is asked of Sam is saving about a minute of associates' time, and we have over 8.4 million questions now that have been asked of Sam, so I'll show you a little bit about this. So what does Amy Brown work today? Um, it gives us their schedule for the day, and that way we know who's coming in. Hey, Sams, do we have vacuums? It literally gives me everything in the club that we have right there instead of having to ask the floor people all the time for a product if we have it in stock. It's good just to have it right in front of me. How do I make enchiladas? So it gives you the spec sheet, and if you click on it, it'll bring up the exact uh, spec sheet for that specific item. It saves time from going to and from the office, uh, allows us to be on the floor, much more um, with our associates and we can interact with them instead of having to run away from them to get a specific report. Um, we can spend a whole lot more time with them and the members as well. This has been a big hit. Our associates absolutely love it. They don't have to leave the floor. They can right there with the member present. Um, they can create a much better member experience. So again, another example where in the past members might have waited around 10 minutes for an answer to a question while the associate left them to go find a computer. They can now most questions can be solved right there in the Ask Sam app and create a special experience as opposed to in the past where it was just friction, it was not special at all. Now, one final one that I'll, I'll take your attention to is our Scan and Go app. Now, this is one that we built directly with the member in mind. Those other three examples were examples of how through our associates, we could help them create special experiences for members in the club. This is one where we said, you know what, let's go help members directly. So when I came into this role, the number one detractor from our net promoter score, anybody want to guess? Anybody want to throw out a guess on what, what would be the number one detractor of member satisfaction? Car, yeah, lines, exactly. It was speed of checkout. It detracted from NPS by like three points, which if you work with NPS a lot, to move NPS one point one way or the other is really hard. So to find something that drove it down by three points, we knew we had to go solve there. And we did a lot of things with equipment. We put in self-checkouts. We streamlined the checkout process. That helped a lot. But we also had this really nice sort of budding technology that we called Scan and Go. It's really simple. If you've ever used it, Scan and Go, you basically, you, you can do it as a guest. So if you don't want to put your credit card in there, you don't have to. You can do it, you know, one-time basis. But most members put their membership number in. They put a credit card number in. And all you do is scan your items that you put in your basket. You swipe to pay, and as you go out the door, you show the QR code to our exit greeter that is simply confirmation that you, you paid, transacted. No lines. You don't have to stand in any lines at any point in time. You can go right around it and go right out the door. It's a fabulous feature. It's slick. It's just fantastic. I don't stand in lines anymore when I go into Sam's Club for my own personal shopping. Uh, many interviews done. Many um, uh, reporters have come in to see some of our testing environments 
have come to see our Now Club down in Dallas, Texas, where it's a live lab. Members can come in and shop, but we're doing crazy things in there all the time. Um, they've, caught, they've picked up on this. They've seen some of these products we're launching. And, and I love this quote outside of Amazon. Sam's Club is doing as much to set the pace for um, retail innovation as any other U.S. retailer out there right now. And having been on the inside and knowing how much more work is going on, even beyond what's visible, I would have to agree with that. Um, but also, if you just look at the results, if you look at our comps, if you look at our traffic, if you look at membership, everything is on a fantastic growth trajectory. Uh, we, re we released earnings just on Tuesday. Sam's Club doesn't share everything as a subsidiary, but the things that we do share, a 3.8 comp for the year, on a two-year stack, a 9.5% comp, and in the retail environment, those are amazing results. Um, our membership base is growing, acquisitions are growing, renewals are growing, our plus penetration is growing. Um, very, very positive indicators that we've got a long way to go. That's the first thing I'll say is we're still right. I'd call it still at the beginning part of this journey. Um, we've got a long way to go. We've got a lot to do. If you look at my team's roadmap this year of the technology we have to deliver on, you, you would agree with me, you've got a long way to go. So we've got a lot to do, but in the process, we're also seeing some successes. We're also seeing some wins. And it's all a part of this, all right, how do we bring to life this vision to give our members a special experience when they engage with our brand? So thank you very much. Chris Nealon spoke uh, an hour ago around uh, the difference between, I think he said, customer naive, customer aware, and customer obsessed organizations. And I think one of the tenets of a customer-obsessed organization is that everybody across the, uh, across the organization considers it their job to do something for uh, the customer. Are you the only crossover in the organization that's come from a marketing, maybe more of a consumer-minded background uh, that's kind of gone into a different discipline to try to reorient? Are you, are you unique in that way? Or is that something the organization is focusing on? My specific path of, you know, marketing into ops is, is probably unique, but that's not unique in, in our culture. Um, one thing I love about um, Sam's Club organization and Walmart as a whole is uh, amazing opportunities to grow your breadth as well as your depth. Um, one of the first things I got counseled on when I came into there um, was, Tim, it's great that you've got this 20 years of deep, deep expertise. Now go learn something else about the business. That really helped in my 10-minute decision to go into operations. Um, so I don't think it's unique um, in that perspective. And I think that one thing that I love is that so many people at our home office support have been in the field. And they know what it's like day in and day out to interact with our members, both the good times and the bad times, when we've delighted them and when we've frustrated them. You see all kinds of people throughout our organization who have come from that environment and who have that perspective. Was it challenging coming in as an outsider who maybe doesn't understand all the acronyms that everybody's using for things um, to try to convince them you were right? Like, with, how, how was it personally, like, personally and professionally as you took on this new role? Yeah, it was. It was a challenge. Um, Sam's Club, Walmart is renowned for having long-term associates, people that started out working you know, pushing carts, working cash registers. And, you know, we have a, a once you hit your 30-year anniversary, you get a gold badge. There are gold badges everywhere. They're everywhere. And they know more than I've ever, they've forgotten more than I'll ever even learn about the industry. Um, so it was hard coming into that because you come in as an outsider 
I, I, I don't have that context. I don't have that history. I, I read everything I could. I read Sam Walton's autobiography so I could get a little bit of the background and context. But it was, it was difficult coming in. Um, but I think they did a good job of hiring me for fit with the culture. And so um, because of that good fit, I was able to get up that learning curve, um, create the relationships that I needed to create. I loved the culture. It was one of the, you know, Sam's was my client on the agency side, and they recruited me over like a year and a half. It's even worse. So it, 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 it took a while, but I, I was really glad uh, when I did it. You did a great job going through what has been like three years. Is that, is that what you said yeah, earlier? Three, three years of uh, of learning and testing and trial and error and 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 putting uh, new systems in place. You did a great job summarizing that in twenty five minutes somehow. But like, let's not forget that's monumental. Like these are monumental shifts for your organization. How did you handle uh, like change management or change rejection? Maybe even more appropriately, was there was it uh, was that a challenge or yeah I do. it was i think the, there's kind of a, a front end and a middle end of that story the, the front end was just coming into operations and and having people um, accept me as a non-operator now being tasked with driving innovation for operations and it just one of these one of these perfect moments i read an article called the power of not knowing it was a fantastic article and the idea is, is this author, she talked about this knowledge trap. And the knowledge trap is, is that when you have deep subject matter expertise, you go to what you know. And that can sometimes limit you, especially in an innovation environment. So as I came into the operations organization, the first part of my kind of this change management journey was just being accepted to innovate, you know, getting, getting permission to play around with things that were tried and true over many, many, many years. Um, and so I tried to be as authentic as I could in saying, I don't, I don't know any of this and not trying to fake it and just basically saying, I don't know what you're talking about. So either you need to explain it to me now or we'll, we'll take it, you know, offside and do it later. But, um, I, I just, my team got so accustomed to my questions about everything. I would question everything down to the core roots, even things that I think everybody else in the room just assumed is true. So that was a big part of it, was just authentically not trying to fake it, not trying to pretend that I was an overnight operator, um, saying, I don't know this, but I will learn it, and, and then I will be authentic in how I approach innovation. But then the next big part is once we started to roll things out, you know, how do you get adoption? One of our products is a new inventory management tool. We call it Own Your Inventory. I didn't show this one, but if, everything you need to do to manage inventory is now right in your hand, whereas you used to go onto a computer, print out 14 reports. It was, it was horrible. Well, now you can do it right in your hand. When we launched this, we had one user per club per day on average in this tool. Um, today, I want to say about a year later, we're now at about 20 per club per day users in this tool, which is fantastic adoption. Um, and so what I've learned is, is you've, got to, you've got to be really clear to the field on the benefits of this. Why is this good for you? If you can't explain that really, really straightforward and clear, you're kind of going to lose them from hello, right? Um, the second thing is, is you just have to keep consistent with the message. You've just got to keep on it and keep on it and keep on it with the field, with the regional leaders, with the market leaders, and even with the club managers. And when you do that, they start to then experience it and experience the value. And then the last thing I'd say is continually improve. You can't operate at the speed we've been operating and launch completely baked, highly polished products and apps. You can't do it. 
you have to roll out minimal viable products. You have to think like an agile organization and you have to roll it out and you have to say there's more to come, but there is benefit in this. Here's the benefit in it. And then every two week sprint, we make it better. And so if you can deliver on that promise of constantly improving every two weeks or every four weeks or whatever it is that you're going to add new features, you're going to take out pain points. If you can deliver on that, people take notice. They know that you're for real and they start to adopt. They start to get engaged. That's so fantastic. There's a question that sort of follows up on that that came from the audience. And you know, we talked about change management, change rejection inside the organization with associates. Um, but what about with consumers? Was it a struggle to have consumers that are, um, you know, they, they've been shopping uh, with you guys for years and years and years. And now all of a sudden everything's a little bit different. Might be less friction, but it's also unfamiliar. Was, was that a challenge you uh, faced as well? Yeah, I will. I will say that, you know, we, we have this tool we call member experience voices or MX voices. It's, it's, it's Medallia software, but basically it's getting customer feedback. Um, I can't think of one initiative that we rolled out. And in my mind, they were always improvements on the customer experience. I can't think of one where we didn't get some complaints. You know, if, if in the verbatims, when you go in and you read, there was always something and you search for it. Like when we put in eight self-checkout units and took out some belted lanes, for the most part, satisfaction, speed of checkout shot up, et cetera, et cetera. But there were people complaining that we were taking away jobs, which we weren't doing. You know, we just moved them over to the belted lanes so they could do two people instead of one person checking you out. So you could go faster on the belted lanes as well. But, we, you know, yes, every innovation that we've rolled out, there are some members who see something wrong in it, whether it's, hey, you're doing this to automate and remove associates or whether it's I like the old way or whatever it is. There's always that. But um, it's when, when you know that you've done enough observation and enough user experience study to know that the friction is painful and you take out that friction in the end, those voices will disappear when they see that this is actually a better experience. We've got time for probably one more uh, question here from the audience. And uh, you mentioned in the, I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit, but you mentioned in uh, your presentation around this new brand promise that you created. I think it's expect something special. Is that right? Yeah. I think a lot of times uh, organizations will go through a process of defining their purpose, their vision, their mission, their values, their promise, whatever, a bunch of marketing academia and stuff like that. Maybe they find three words that they like, mm-hmm. and then they kind of dust their hands and shelve it. it. seems to me that a lot of what you've talked about has been around um, y- y- taking that those three words and really... Um, allowing them to pervade the organization. Any tips for people in the audience here today around how to take what can be somewhat of an abstract academic exercise and making it real in a store? Uh, yeah, well, obviously technology. I mean, we, we have seen the improvements that we've seen while investing heavily in technology and even driving prices down. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm a big I'm a big proponent of of using technology, using digital to drive whatever your brand promise is. I think that's a big powerful tool. But that there are others. Like um, we took that brand promise and we took it to the field, and and we we have a yearly beginning meeting. It's called the YBM meeting. A really creative name for it. Great name, yeah, yeah. YBM. And we bring in all of our club managers, all, almost 600 of them. We bring in all of our market managers. We bring in our regional managers. And it's, it's like three full days of here's the message. Here's the story. 
We'll do operational breakouts where we'll show them new technology that's coming and we'll give them a purview into things to come. So it's this kind of set the table for the whole year event. And it was all about create something special for our members in the club. Everything that we did, every operational rotation we talked about, create special experiences. Every main stage presentation was about this brand promise. So, you know, Chris mentioned in there, linguistics are powerful, powerful part of change. And I, I completely agree with that. We've done that. We've adopted this. We, it's, it's peppered throughout our vocabulary now. Even when merchants, who merchants are pretty siloed. You know, my job is to buy certain things, price them right, and sell them at a certain amount. But even merchants, when they buy items now, they talk about why this item will create something special for our members, whether it's the pricing of it or the packaging of it or the quality of it. So we've peppered that language all throughout our organization, and it's definitely a drumbeat. And so I think that's another powerful tool that you have is that language and getting that drumbeat out. So fantastic. Uh, Tim, thank you very much for sharing with us today. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. I think most marketers would have a full-time job if they simply focused on the three big things that Tim said are the secrets to success in a membership club model. First, having great items. Second, providing fantastic value. In Sam's case, Tim referred to it as disruptive prices. And third, create a great customer experience. You know, as I look at marketing organizations across North America, I am constantly disappointed in how few of them have any responsibility for the product, whether it's their assortment or R&D into new products or just adding features and benefits to existing ones. You know, marketing used to control what a company built, but now too often they've been relegated to just making ads with pretty pictures and clever words to talk about the product instead of driving what the product is and how it works. You know, same with pricing strategy. I mean, pricing, just like product, is one of the original four P's of marketing. But you'd be hard-pressed to find a marketing leader who owns decisions about pricing strategy or creating subscription models or coming up with premium price points. You know, instead, most marketers have become markdowners and simply enable the discounting of items. And finally, customer experience is where marketing should begin and end. Marketers need to have audience intersection maps and intimately understand all of the various inflection points where consumers and brands interact and where buying decisions are informed. I appreciate how Tim's unique insights into marketing and operations makes it all sound so simple. 
but it really doesn't have to be that hard. We make it hard because we try to do too much too often, or we do things for the wrong reasons. But if we just focus on a core group of customers' unmet needs, and then deliver solutions that meet or exceed their expectations, they will shop, they will return, they will buy more product more often, and they will refer their friends and family so that your awareness and your trial grows. At least, that's how cult brands do it. Until next time. Once again, this is your host, Chris Neeland, and you've been listening to Cult Brand Secrets, where we explore the great speakers and insights shared at the gathering, a Forbes top-rated business summit. Learn more about the gathering at cultgathering.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us on your podcast app. It really helps. Cult Brand Secrets is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more about our podcasts at evergreenpodcast.com. Special thanks to Connor Standish and Laura Winter for their assistance in making this podcast possible. Also, I'd like to thank our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, as well as executive producers, David Moss and Bridget Coyne. I'm your host, Chris Nealon. Thanks for listening. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.